edumagicians, welcome to the Edumagic Podcast with your host, Dr. Sam Fesich. Dr. Sam is a professor of education, author of Edumagic, and a pumpkin spice latte fan. This podcast is designed for pre-service teachers. Remember, friends, teaching doesn't begin at graduation, but during that first class at 8 a.m. Let's get this party started. I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Edumagicians, it's Sam. And before we start into this episode, I want to share with you about an amazing resource. It's called the Educator Candidate Member Portal. AAEE provides you with resources such as virtual job fairs, a job board, interview tips and prep, resume building, webinars. You can even get a copy of the Job Search Handbook digitally. So head on over to aaee.org and create your free Educator Candidate Member account today. Friends, one more thing before we get started. This episode is brought to you by my new course, Digital Portfolios from Scratch to Interview Ready. Head on over to sfessage.com courses for more information about this self-paced, hands-on virtual workshop. Hello, Edgy Magicians, and welcome back to another episode of the Edgy Magic Podcast. My name is Dr. Sam Fessich, and today I have with me Becca Mattis, and she is a professor at Cal U of PA, and uh, I'm an alum of Cal U. We've met at, um, I want to say, we, we met across social media, and we met in person several times pre-COVID, and it's about time I get you on the show because we have talked a lot about grad school and the power of continuing to learn as a teacher. So, Becca, Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Sam. Um, it's good to collaborate again, this time in your neck of the virtual woods. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, it's awesome to have you here. So, Beck, before we jump into tips for students who are applying to grad school, thinking about grad school, uh, let's share your teaching story. Where, where has your teaching journey led you and what are you doing uh, today? This is going to be a little bit of a long one, but I think it's important for the topic of today. So um, my current work, I'm an associate professor of education at Cal U, and I prepare teacher candidates in childhood education, middle level and secondary level, mostly in the childhood education and middle levels. Um, in my former life, I was a teacher and principal. Um, I joke and say I went from lighting fires to putting out fires to lighting fires again. <laughs> Um, I like that. Yeah, but I was uh, a first grade teacher and a fourth grade teacher. Um, and then I transitioned into the principalship. So before I came to Cal U, um, I was a principal for five years and um, I had a K to eight building for four years. And then my last year, I actually had three buildings at one time. So oh my that gosh. was interesting. Um, but I'm a product of uh, the PA State University system. Um, I went to Cal U and IUP, and um, of course, I have my bachelor's in education, my master's in school counseling. Um, I have a certification in administration, and um, I have a doctorate in curriculum and instruction. So um, the reason I say this is a little long, because I just feel like this is all important for the whole grad school experience and how you know, I've, I've taken a traditional path. So um, 
basically all the paths that I've taken had led me to this period of time. And I think grad school had a big impact on that. So I feel like the state universities prepared me for many opportunities in the field. Um, the professorship was not my end goal when I began college. My goal was to be a classroom teacher like many of our teacher candidates. Um, and I'm a, not really a believer in speaking into existence, you know, speaking things into ex existence, but um, about setting goals and pursuing them. So although a classroom teacher was my goal, I think I subconsciously set the goal of being a teacher educator when I was an undergrad. And um, I had a class that was, um, I think it was like family and community or something like that. And I remember looking at the professor and thinking, um, wow, like that's like a really cool, this would be a really cool job. And her name was Dr. Fair. I have to give her a little shout out. She is now retired. And um, eventually um, I mentored student teachers in my work as a classroom teacher, and I took on leadership roles as a teacher, which ultimately led to being a teacher educator. But what was interesting was when I got my job at Cal U, I, um, Dr. Fair retired and I replaced her position. Oh. <laughs> so like Full I said, circle I, there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I actually, you know, believe in the whole speaking things into existence, but I guess I subconsciously set that goal for myself. So I've been a perpetual student for most of my life. And um, I feel like my desire and willingness to learn has opened many doors for my career. So um, I share that story with all of my teacher candidates because I just think it's, you know, a good model for them to kind of see where they could go. I am nodding my head because I'm resonating with so much that you that you were saying. So when I, too, was an undergrad at Cal U, which is weird that, you know, we may have crossed paths, you know, like 20 years ago, <laughs> um, maybe going in between buildings or something like that. But um, I, too, was going in to, as an undergrad, like, I'm going to be the best first grade teacher this world has ever seen. And I never was a first grade teacher. I was a special ed teacher. And I, I truly loved that. And so many twists and turns happen happen along your teaching journey. Opportunities come up for continued learning, continued professional development. You might find your niche or your jam like in ed tech or as a reading specialist or an administration or whatever it might be. And it's so cool to to be able to have this profession of teaching, in my opinion, the best profession on the planet. But there's so <laughs> many layers to it. And you can like just build your own awesome teaching cake and add the sprinkles on top as you would like. And I love, I love how as educators, we're continuing to grow and learn, not just because we have to for our certification, but, you know, it really can help lead to so many awesome opportunities. One of those opportunities, continuing education, whether it's through an endorsement, an extra certification, um, a master's degree, which is what we're going to focus today's conversation on. And I think we already talked a little bit about this, the importance of continuing education, continuing our learning. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I tell my student teachers, like, this is just the beginning of their learning. Like, they're at the end yeah. of their program, and they think right. it's over, but oh, I'm done. it's not, yeah, it's not over. Their career <laughs> is a work in progress. And so um, I just, I tell them, like, they'll never stop learning. And if they stop learning, their students aren't going to grow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, learning for teachers is a domino effect. So, you know, their students will do better because of their own learning. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different reasons and important reasons 
for continuing to learn as a teacher. And I think, you know, the obvious reasons are, you know, improving your skills and enhancing your content knowledge and um, becoming more proficient at your work. But um, there's also other reasons, more specific reasons. And one um, that, of course, I always share with my candidates is that they have to do professional development and continue, continuing ed credits. Um, I know, and I can speak for PA, obviously, because that's right. you know, <laughs> where I taught, but, um, you know, the teachers are required to obtain a specific amount of credits over time. For example, in PA, they have, educators have to earn like six credits of collegiate study or six credits of PBE approved continuing education courses or 180 hours of continuing ed, um, which could be many different types of programs, um, workshops, and things like that. Um, and they have to do that um, over a period of five years. And then once that five years is up, they start all over again. So <laughs> um, like I said, it's never ending. Um, right. But that's an important piece. And I think that, you know, specifically Pennsylvania recognizes that important piece of being an educator. Um, another reason is, um, you know, the field evolves so fast. So especially with technologies, as yes, we're seeing that now, I know, <laughs> um, you know, and your students change from year to year. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's always going to be a challenge or a new situation, um, that you're going to have to problem solve. And so when you embrace that student like mindset and make learning a daily habit, then it just makes your transitions in your work less bumpy. Mm hmm. Um, another reason, uh, um, that I can think of is, you know, educators who learn are more successful, um, and their students have better outcomes. And we know that from like Hattie's research that says that the teacher is the number one influence in the classroom. Um, and we also know that from Gusky's research about, um, professional development and how it positively impacts both teacher credentials and student achievement. So I think that's really important for new teachers to, to recognize that, you know, um, their success is their student's success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they also need to be a model for their students. And I know, like, you know, like I said, I was a per perpetual student. So for the majority of my time in basic ed, actually all of my time in basic ed, I was a student myself. <laughs> so that's actually weird to say, but it was like 16 years, you know? Um, so, I was able to share things that I was doing in my classes with my students. And I know like it kind of maybe confused some of my young students sometimes like what <laughs> you're, you're a student too. But um, it was, it helped me to keep that student mindset, like that perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it also helped me to just make those connections with my own students. Um, and of course, career growth is another reason. Um, you know, it gives you opportunities for other paths in the field. And I'm a perfect example of that. Like I, um, you know, like I said, I wanted to be a classroom teacher, but I went on and got my master's in school counseling. I never did anything with that degree, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but I have it. And um, I can say that the skills and the knowledge that I gained from that program really helped me as a teacher and as a mm. principal. Oh, that's um, cool. Like I, I definitely did apply that. Um, to those, both of those positions. Um, but, you know, I skipped over that part and went into administration. And um, of course, while I was an administrator, I was going through my doc program. So 
you know, my doctoral work has led Mm -hmm. me to this position. So it was just like, you know, one thing after another. Um, And like, I'm at the point now where I'm like, (laughs) okay, what do I do next? Do I go on to to do postdoc or, you know, Um, but, you know, graduate work can, you know, prepare you for a lot of different paths. And it it can even prepare you for opportunities outside of the field. Um, You know, I think educators have a lot of transferable skills that employers seek out. So like, you know, just training and communication and leadership, there's, I mean, there's so many things, but I think um, educators have a lot of valuable skills um, that could be used outside of education. Um, And then one of the last things that I think is a benefit for continuing um, learning is the profession um, needs educators who are committed. You know, like if you look up the statistics of the like attrition rates, like the National Center for Education Statistics, they they report that like eight percent of teachers leave the profession yearly and another eight percent move to other schools. So that brings like an annual turnover rate of 16 percent, which is actually pretty high. Um, And I think when I was doing my research, um, Richard Ingersoll is like a big researcher with teacher attrition. And I think his research research showed like one in five teachers leave the profession. So that means on average that a school would lose like three out of every 20 teachers. And so my point is, is that teachers who stay are those that try new things and make changes like, you know, changing a grade level or continuing to learn. So when you're always growing, you're going to be more willing to take on those challenges that you face so um, I think that's really important to know for the profession. Absolutely. I love all those different reasons that you laid out there, the importance of continuing to grow. And I love how you shared, you know, although I got my my certification in counseling, I didn't particularly use that specific um, certification, but I used the skills. I used the the the. Um, the yeah, I use the skills of that of that certification in other work, and I love how you talked about how educators have transferable skills. We absolutely do, and it just is a snowball effect. I think with learning, you're finding new opportunities, you're finding new things to try out, trying new things in the classroom, whether it's a tech or a strategy or a tool or whatever it might be. Keeping it fresh, I think, is always really important as a teacher. I mean, I'm still learning, and I tell my my teachers that all the time. Like, I still don't feel like I'm there, so. Exactly. Same. Same. I tell my students, the smartest person in the room is the room. We're all going to build off each other's knowledge. We're all going to learn from each other, too. It's so important to keep that that student mindset like you had mentioned earlier. So let's talk about our seniors who are graduating in May. Um, maybe they're kicking around the idea of grad school. They want to start looking at some programs. Where do they even start to find a school that is going to speak to them? It's going to be a good fit for them. Well, the first thing I think that needs to happen is for them to allow enough time. So what I mean by that is you know, not waiting just a few weeks before the application deadline, but, you know, (laughs) doing your research well in advance, like maybe at least six months um, before, you know, they start to, before they apply, they need to review websites, gather information, contact individuals, um, and, you know, also find time to maybe even go on a campus visit if they're planning to do in person. Mm -hmm. 
So just like they would in undergrad, I think it's important for them to do that, even more so in graduate school. Um, and we can right. probably talk about that a little bit later when we talk about funding. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think time is key. And just like you were saying with letters of recommendation, like, you know, not waiting to the last minute to tell somebody that you need a letter. I think um, another reason or another way to find a grad school is to decide if you want a brick and mortar or you want to go online or hybrid. I mean, we have all of these options now and, and that's been around for quite a while. And I know I've done a couple of different options, but um, for students looking to pursue a master's in ed, um, I think the program's flexibility is often very important um, in students' ability to find schooling and, um, you know, schooling that fits their personal lives and professional lives because many of them are working. So, um, you know, many universities now offer 100% online degrees or hybrid options, which can be a huge benefit to working educators who have like limited time to commute mm -hmm. like every week or every other week. Um, I also think they need to learn about their specialty or field. And this is something I emphasize with my candidates. Um, you know, I tell them, learn as much as right. possible about other profession professionals in your chosen, chosen career and what they do every day. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I have unfortunately come into contact with people and I'm sure you have too, who have never considered the realities of their career. And then they go, they get into the work and they don't like it. Um, so I just, you know, I say to the listeners, like, please don't be one of those students, um, you know, interview individuals in the specialty mm -hmm. or the field you're considering and ask if you can shadow them. I see a lot of like my student teachers, um, you know, because they're at the end of their program, mm. they're already thinking about, you know, not just getting a job, but what I'm going to do next or in the interim. Right. And they want to jump right into a grad program after undergrad without having experience in the field. And so this can be a very expensive decision that they regret if they don't end up liking the specialty area or the work that grad school prepared them for. And I say that from experience because when I, you know, I did my master's program in school counseling. And although I loved that program and loved everything that I learned, and I don't regret it, but it was, you know, it was an expensive program for me to do and not have taken a role in that you know, to apply everything um, that I learned through that. So um, I just always tell them to take some time to think about that. And the other thing that they have to, especially teachers need to consider is, you know, I don't want to get in too technical, but, you know, when our students graduate, they get a level one certification. So, um, you know, once they get their job, you know, they're hired full time, then the clock starts ticking for them to get their level two. And so to get level two, they need 24 credits. And so I tell them, like, that's the opportunity for you to go to, you know, go into a master's program and apply those credits to your level two, rather than taking random mm -hmm. classes. Right. Like in my day, teachers took bird watching. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what, you know, unless you're a science teacher, um, I don't know what that class would do for you. But, you know, you don't want to take just random courses. So kind of like, you know, kill two birds with one stone and, you know, do a master's program. So definitely learn about your specialty. specialty. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of specialties. Um, mm -hmm. STEM, reading specialist, um, ed, 
ed tech, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and also toss a wide net. So start with a large number of options on your grad school lists and, you know, check out each one. So I would say like maybe 15 to 20 mm -hmm. schools, if you're like, you know, really adventurous and you want to like really branch out, that would be a good number. Um, you know, do an internet search, utilize like keywords, graduate programs and education. Um, and because you're starting a very wide net, rankings provide a good resource, but I wouldn't let that be your only resource for choosing a school. Um, you know, visit their websites, talk to other people who've attended the schools, contact departments or programs. Every department has a chair, you know, that would be a good person to contact and inquire. And many programs offer information sessions for prospective students. So um, that's a great place to go and ask questions about the program and even the application process. Um, so I think that would help you ultimately to determine which schools would help you to reach your professional goals. I love all those tips that you provided. Cast that wide net, contact individuals. And now that we've found some schools we want to apply to, what are some tips for that whole application process? Yeah, so that, you know, when I think back to the application process, and I actually direct the scholarship program now, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm in the trenches of that. So this kind of hit home to me. <laughs> Um, you know, that first starts in undergraduate school. Um, you know, I think any listener right now that's a teacher candidate, they need to start thinking about exploring their interests, um, you know, researching schools, et cetera, right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, and start preparing their pathway because, you know, they right now things are kind of broad for them in undergrad. But if I, I think if they start thinking about the things that they're interested in now, they can start kind of designing that path, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so just like seeking out a school, time is key. So be sure to complete those required documents and send them in early. <laughs> um, also submit those requests for transcripts and letters of recommendation as early as possible because those take time to process and write. Mm -hmm. And we both know as professors, we get lots of, um, requests for recommendations. Yes. And so, um, and we like to give good ones. Yes. So we, we need some time to do that. Um, and I would probably even say when you do request a letter of recommendation to maybe provide some information about what you're applying to, and also maybe anything that they want you to highlight, because mm -hmm. I find that that's helpful. I also find if they attach a resume or an updated CV, that's also very helpful True. too. when they're re requesting, hey, could you write me a letter of recommendation? Reply is always, can you please send me your most recent resume or your most updated resume and as much information as you can about what program you're applying to or any like specific things you would like me to highlight in that letter that relate to that program, if, if applicable, if you have any of those things. Right. And that also kind of prompts students, especially undergrads, to write a resume if they don't have one. Um, and if they do have an interview for the application, um, you know, a resume and a portfolio are both helpful to set them apart from other candidates, you know, because other candidates are going to come with probably the same knowledge and similar skills. But and, you know, they can all talk about that. But the experiences is where they're going to get to the um, to really set themselves apart. 
So when we talk about that application process, getting all that information in, whether in the correct like file format, giving people enough time to write those glowing letters of recommendation, making sure you're staying consistent with that timeline, you know the deadline application, maybe back that up a few weeks so you have everything ready to go like two weeks ahead of time. Um, plan that interview. If you have one for the application that goes alongside your application, plan that out early, dress professionally, be present, I think is really important for that as well. And I think this next question, so after we apply and um, we get accepted, let's think about funding. And when I when I ask this question, I'm thinking about two routes for funding. One, I'm a current teacher and um, maybe I'm getting my master's degree while I'm teaching. We both did that interesting ex experience there. Or you're going in right from undergrad into graduate school. There's a, I think there's also some funding opportunities there too. So would you mind sharing about both of those? Or maybe there's even more that I don't know about um, for funding. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different options. Right. And of course, loans are one of the number one ways that you can fund um, any type of schooling. But I'll say for graduate school, that is probably going to be your most expensive form of schooling um, because, you know, in undergrads, some, you know, you can possibly get some help um, with mm -hmm. some forms of funding that you wouldn't have to pay back. Whereas with um, graduate school, um, if you just yes. take out loans, then you're going to have to pay those back. So um, that can be a very expensive option. So Another option are scholarships. And, you know, I think this is where I wish that I would have um, did my own research back in the day. And I honestly don't know how many scholarships would have been available to me at the time, but I feel like now there are more opportunities for scholarships. And, you know, those are available through like organizations, companies, mm -hmm. and even states have scholarship opportunities. So you just have to research and it does take some time to do. Um, and apply for them and just see what happens. Um, but there's other ways, um, like fellowships. And I right. normally see that mostly like at, at a doc level, but I'm sure there are master's fellowship opportunities. Um, this kind of functions like a grant, so it's not money that you have to pay back, but you can apply for like smaller or larger amounts based on your field of study. And they're often available from a professional organization related mm. to your field of study, and they're typically competitive. Um, for example, Cal U has the Frederick Douglass Teaching Scholars Fellowship, and that offers teaching opportunities to grad students who are pursuing careers as university faculty nice. and who are entering their final year of the doctoral program. That's another option. And I think um, a fourth popular option is assistantships. Um, Grad assistantships are paid student employment opportunities for a university. So like they would work a set number of hours a week and in return, they would receive a tuition waiver or a stipend. And there can be different types of grad assistants. So like you could be a grad assistant or what they would call a teaching assistant, mm -hmm. or you could be like a graduate research assistant. Um, or just like now I have my own graduate assistant for the scholarship program that I uh, direct. And, you know, she helps me with a lot of the um, administrative paperwork and, you know, communications and things like that. Um, but they have grad assistantships all over campus. So, you know, if you have a certain interest in like a, a specific department or like maybe you 
you desire to be in a leadership position one day, you know, seeking out like a grad assistantship in like the administrative offices might be something that um, you would want to do. So um, those are like the four main options that I would say um, you could use for funding graduate school. So loans, scholarships, fellowships, and graduate assistantship GAs or TAs um, for for a specific department or um, a function on campus. Could we also talk about uh, working while getting your master's degree? So let's say you graduated in May or graduate in December, we're currently employed as a teacher and we want to explore some graduate level work. Is there an opportunity or an option for our school district to help pay for that? Some districts may do that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that candidates would want to, like when they're applying for jobs, if that's something they're interested in, they'd want to maybe, um, look at their websites to see mm-hmm. um, if that's something they offer or in the interview, that would be a great question yes. to ask. Um, I know in the district that I worked in, um, they did not um, fund um, my master's. Um, now you do get, like, if you get a master's, they give you, you might get a little bit more pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other thing um, that, teacher candidates need to realize is that there is loan forgiveness. And um, I know that if you um, work in a Title I school, and I'm just specifically speaking about PA, Mm -hmm. but and this might be the case in other states, but if you work in a Title I school, um, I think like gen ed teachers could get up to 5,000 forgiven. And if you work in a specialty area like special ed or math or science, because those are high need areas, then they could get up to, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like sixteen or $17,000. So that's also something, um, you know, for anybody looking to go into a master's program for education, Mm -hmm. they would want to maybe check that out. Thank you. And then my next question for for you is whenever we're exploring, whenever we're in our grad program or doing our coursework and things like that, graduate school is very different than undergrad. You're able to really niche down and find your passion areas and do amazing things, present at conferences, connect with professors as colleagues. So it's a different dynamic, I think, in those relationships um, as a graduate student versus being an undergraduate student. So what are some ways uh, listeners can really take the lead Mm -hmm. during their master's work or during their graduate? level work? Well, first, I think they need to follow Edumagic's lead on this Hey-o. and uh, get out. Yes. <laughs> get out and go outside your regularly scheduled program. Yes. Um, you know, grad school is more than just taking a course, Yeah. Um, particularly if you plan to pursue a PhD. But um, your program is going to give you the proper coursework and field work, but you've got to design your path and seek opportunities in and outside the graduate program. Mm-hmm. And this is going to depend on your goals. Um, you know, for example, if you're seeking out an ed leadership program, then consider what experiences you need to have before you graduate. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I took on leadership roles in my work as a classroom teacher. So in my building, I was a head teacher and instructional leader. Um, those were two positions that um, our district offered at the time and actually got, you got a small stipend for that. Um, and also I mentored teacher candidates at the time. So those were several leadership positions that I took on that I feel really helped me to 
um, prepare for the principalship. Um, but I think a good baby step would be to get involved at the campus level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not sure where to turn, go to the career center on campus or your advisor um, to inquire about, you know, leadership opportunities. Um, they can help with the ideas that are tailored to your needs. Um, also, take advantage of the seminars and the conferences. Yes. Um, webinars, whatever it is, um, and not just attend them, but consider presenting. Yes. You know, I know that that can be a little scary for any first time presenters at a conference, but, you know, first attend and see how that, you know, how that process all works in terms of a conference and, you know, get the feel of what other presenters do. Mm -hmm. And then I would encourage anybody to present at a conference. Um, you know, become a grad assistant, as I mentioned, those positions really um, can help provide you with leadership opportunities. So, you know, if you're interested in research, then seek out the graduate research position. And, you know, whoever is your faculty member that you're assigned to, you know, they're going to give you opportunities to, you know, lead in areas and maybe even you might have the opportunity to help present, you know, you never know what's mm-hmm. going to come out of that. Or published. Um, exactly. So if you would like to enhance your teaching, you know, particularly at the adult level, mm-hmm. because, you know, we come out of undergrad, um, you know, teaching students, like young students, but um, at the graduate level, you might be interested in teaching adults. Right. And so I would seek out a graduate teaching position because you could be assigned a class that you would help another faculty member teach. Mm -hmm. And that's a great opportunity to even, um, you know, not just teach by yourself, but get opportunities to collaborate with somebody else and co-teach. Yes. You could also apply for grad assistantships in other areas. Like I said, like administrative offices, which would provide you with behind the scene insights into like an educational institution, which is something that, you know, a lot of teachers might not get to experience even veteran teachers. Like if you're not sure, like what your administration does and you're interested in leading, then definitely go, you know, find something that's going to give you some experience in that. Um, and mentoring others, right. you know, that's always a good option to give your, give yourself opportunities to lead during your master's work. I love that opportunities to lead during master's work. And I think that's such a beautiful statement because there's so many, like you had said, so many different ways to take the lead in your degree. So not just going to the classes and checking out the boxes, but really investing in yourself and investing in those leadership roles that are very abundant as a graduate student. I was going to say something that came to my mind about the mentoring. So from my experience, you know, I, I mentioned about mentoring teacher candidates as a classroom teacher. You know, I made a connection with a faculty at the university that, you know, we were receiving uh, teacher candidates oh. from. And I was able to participate in research with that faculty member. Um, you know, she was doing literacy um, research at the time. So she used me and my classroom students. Um, and then we also collaborated and we published an article together at that time. So, you know, you never know what those opportunities are going to to lead you to. So, um, you know, me just mentoring others opened other doors that I would have never imagined. Isn't it cool going back to your journey, thinking about all the different twists and turns and how whenever we were undergrads, it never occurred to us, you know, 
that that would happen or that was a possibility. It's really cool. It's really cool. All right, Becca. So I want to ask you one more question before we get into how we can connect with you. We know that as graduate students, there is a different type of relationship between faculty and undergrad and faculty and graduate students and even uh, doctoral level students. Um, how can students who are going into their grad level or go, going into grad work, going into a PhD level work, rethink that relationship from teacher to student to more like a colleague? I think this is an important one because, um, first of all, success in graduate school does not happen in a vacuum. Um, you know, you really have to network and collaborate and not just with professors, but with your peers, because that's going to give you a, some different perspectives and help you identify what needs to be added, maintained or eliminated in your study plan. And I know, Sam, you're real big on PLNs and um, that's a great way to network too. But apart from like collaboration in general, the graduate student professor relationship is is important and establishing a strong relationship with professors that share the same experiences and interests mm -hmm. is fundamental to attaining a long-term collaboration during your studies. Um, and I'm almost sure that mm -hmm. there, there's probably research out there about this, but it could result in gaining more yes. knowledge, obviously, um, a higher GPA, and even the promise of postgraduate support in the form of letters of recommendation yeah. and even job opportunities. Um, so that's the importance of, you know, really getting to know um, your professors. And I realize that professors can <laughs> be intimidating <laughs> and just, yeah, and addressing them by first name doesn't right. always make it's it less intimidating. It's a little scary the first time. Are we on a first name basis? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to overcome this, um, I just think that you have to change your mindset and treat your professors as partners in your education and not the person responsible mm -hmm. for your success. You know, also realize that there are opportunities throughout grad school to interact with professors. So, you know, first of all, introduce yourself to your professors, like help them know who you are and, and your needs. Right. Um, and this is one of my my big things is, you know, offer yourself as a resource. Like you might not think that you have something to offer, but just little gestures go a long way. Like, um, you know, part participating in class <laughs> offer. To, I mean, yeah. Um, offer to help them set up before or clean up after class. I know that was always, you know, when I have students do that, that just, you know, helps me to see, I don't know. It just gives me a different perspective on the student. And it, it just, you know, it, it warms your heart a little bit too, because you know, that it just lets you know that they care and maybe there can be a little empathetic, you know, and, you know, be social, go to receptions and seminars, sit next to faculty. If they're there, have conversations with them. Also, if professors invite you to do things, go or do it, you know, like, I had a professor in my doc program who was very intimidating and kind of like mysterious, you know, I think that might've been the intimidating part about it, but he invited me and some other cohort members to travel and present at a conference. And, you know, I did that and we spent time not just at the conference, but sightseeing and dinners. And that really helped me to see a different side of him and vice versa. You know, because I feel like I can kind of be a quiet student. So, um, you know, it allowed me to open up too. you know, and be in a different context. You know, another thing to do is join committees that need graduate representation. 
um, you know, because this helps you to form professional bonds with faculty. And again, if you are teaching um, when you enter your master's program, you can invite, you know, um, a professor to observe you or even a colleague um, and ask if you can sit in on her class and take advantage of that informal, right. low pressure form of learning. You know, even though it's not something you have to do, it doesn't have to be an assignment, you know, you know, if you have a, yeah, if you have a professor that you really respect and feel like they have a specialty that's going to help you, mm -hmm. like, why not have them come in and observe you and give you some feedback? Um, yes. You know, writing is a big part of your master's program. So um, it's beneficial to collaborate, get peer feedback, and also seek out opportunities to write with your professors. Yeah. Um, if a professor offers to collaborate on a writing project, I say do it. Um, I know I've offered little hints to students about, you know, hey, mm -hmm. that would be a great topic to write about if you, you know, want, right. if you ever want to write, you, you know, let me know. But I don't know if it's, you know, I sometimes, you know, I yeah. feel like um, I don't know if I want to push the student to do it, you know, but if I see potential, like I may do that. Um, nice. So you know, that's, you know, writing is a great way to, um, and not just writing, but publishing, it's a great way to, to collaborate. Um, I know, like, I had a cohort member who collaborated with a professor and wrote a book chapter. Um, you know, like I said, I collaborated with a professor who was not my, not my own professor, but was a professor at the time when I was in my grad program. And um, we wrote an article together. That's definitely a great way to collaborate. And of course, take on graduate assistantships because that's going to get you, you know, experience with collaborating with a, with a faculty member and, and even getting to know other faculty members. Becca, this has been a fun conversation. So many tips throughout here from researching a school to applying to funding, how to stand out in your graduate work and connecting with your professors as colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And where can people go to connect with you and see all the awesome work that you're doing? How can they get more information about CalU? Tell us all the details. Well, they can get more information about CalU by going to the website. And um, of course, I'm also on there. So my contact information is on the CalU website. And they can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at Becca Mattis. Awesome. Thank you so much, Becca. Thanks for having me, Sam. And there you have it, Edumagicians. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For more edu magic, check out sfesich.com and follow Dr. Sam on Twitter and Instagram at sfesich. Until next time, you have the edu magic within you.